Hello, glorious Bad Voltage listeners. Welcome to Season 3, Episode... Oh, goodness, I've forgotten the number. 33 of... <laughs> so, all the threes. Season 3, Episode 33 of Bad Voltage, recorded on Tuesday the 3rd of August, 2021. Hooray. That is a lot of threes. I know. I... <laughs> I, I assure you it's coincidence. I, I would like to think that maybe we planned this five, six years ago, but we didn't. So um, today we have no Jono. We don't. Because he's on holiday again. Again. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I remember holidays. That was things you had before the pandemic, right? Right. Al- although in my defense, I did go away with my daughter, but only for a weekend. So that doesn't count. I mean, it, it, it's not a proper holiday, but it's something. It was it was really nice. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's that's something. Oh my god, it was just so cool. I actually had like a day off of work. It's brilliant. Um, and, nice. and, and 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 sent you a picture from the pub. I you did. It looked like Laurie. <laughs> yes. So um, uh, on this show, um, we've got um, a couple bits of funny news, bunch of serious news, but it's going to be an all news show, and then. Um, one of the things we had in as a news item, we think we're going to turn into a show for when Jono's back, or possibly two of them, so keep your eyes peeled for that two weeks from now. He will be quite excited about this one. It's a topic near and dear to his virtual heart. (laughs) But first of all, let's talk about the news. So the first one, um, which I thought was... um, Sort of amusing, although I'm sure it's not amusing if you're at the far end of it. Um, China has apparently branded online games as being like electronic drugs. So um, Tencent, huge company, um, yeah. have, have a game called Honor of Kings. And apparently uh, the Chinese government have said that students are playing it for up to eight hours a day and they've asked for more curbs on the industry. And they said, quote, no industry, no sport can be allowed to develop in a way that will destroy a generation, it said. And then describe the games as being spiritual opium. The spiritual opium was was an interesting one. I, mean, I know. I, I am not a China analyst, but there's a lot going on between Didi and Tencent and WeChat and uh, just yeah. a whole bunch. So there's a lot to unpack here. I, what I found most interesting about the story is that you put it in the funny bin. I, I, um, or was bec- it just the spiritual opium that got you? It, it was the the spiritual opium, electronic drugs things. But as I say, I mean, as I um, I dropped it next, I thought, ah, oh, lol, electronic drugs, that's a thing. And then I started reading it, and first of all, thought, huh, there's a lot of implications here for China policy. And secondly, huh, if I was King dot com, be quite worried about this. Yeah, although games are quite addicting for some folks. But this is the thing. I mean, the uh, students are playing it for up to eight hours a day. I agree with you, and. I agree this is potentially a problem. It's just the Chinese government are prepared to go, we're going to do something about it. Our government, not so much. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. Is this, we do need to have a much longer discussion about, as you say, all the things that are going on. Because it seems like this whole um, corporations can do what they like thing. They're like, nah, that's not what happens. <laughs> no. Right. They they are taking a much different approach. I will say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is um, yeah. Uh, we're not no gilded age. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. But yes, um, next thing. So Jeff Bezos and uh, Sir Richard Branson, you you may have heard, both went to space, but the FAA says they might not actually be astronauts because would be astronauts must have quote demonstrated activities during the flight that were essential to public safety or contributed to human space flight safety. 
I imagine neither of them are, are chuffed about this. Oh well, <laughs> the, the thing I liked about this, uh, the reason it's in the funny section, is not because that's the FAA's definition. It's because the FAA changed their definition to be that after they both come back from <laughs> space. So it was like, okay, no, you're not astronauts. As far as I can tell, there's no real reason to do that other than basically say, fuck you billionaires, right? Stop going on about how you're cool astronauts and everything. Nah, we're, we do astronauts. You're just rich people. Right. You just went on a high flight. Yeah. I, I like, lol. Well, I like how they were changing launch dates too to try to get ahead of each other. Like, I know. I mean, the whole thing is just annoying. It's like a sort of a fractal of annoying. Every time I find out a new thing about them going into space, it annoys me a You're little more bit annoyed. more in a different direction <laughs> than it was before. It's just infuriating. Yeah, it's interesting. The whole thing. Uh, that was not a lot of, of funny news. Usually you have quite a bit in there. I know, but unfortunately, not a lot of funny is happening at the moment. I mean, we are... Um, we come out to the summer, or we're in the summer, depending on who you talk to. And, <laughs> um, and so in theory, at least you get the dead period because everyone's on holiday. But I don't know whether that's the case this year because a lot of people are kind of not on holiday so much, but there still doesn't seem to be a lot of news. No, I, I think it's slow because of inertia more than it is people actually. <laughs> so some people are taking holidays still, but not the same amount that you, I think, traditionally would have seen. I, yeah, I mean, I have the impression that people are going slow in August. I thought it was because, you know, most people aren't around. It's hard to get um, any information out of anybody. And you go to someone and say, hey, I need this thing. And then they don't get back to you for two weeks because they're on vacation or whatever. But yeah. no, I think people have just gone, nah, it's August. We're allowed to down tools and only work at 60% efficiency because it's August. It's like December. You know, everyone goes into demob happy mode on about December the 7th because it's nearly yeah. Christmas and you can't get anything signed off until like January the 15th. It's like that. Anyway. <laughs> um, so Corey Doctorow wrote an interesting thing about machine learning. And specifically that there are a whole bunch of people and organizations and potentially governments, um, using machine learning to do COVID stuff and medical stuff generally. And as always with Corey, he has a, uh, he set out his stall and he has a point to make. Um, but his opening I- <laughs> paragraph is. He comes out a little hot. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. We'll, we'll um, have to link to it in the show notes. Yes, yeah, yeah. I will, I will, I will link to it in the show notes. But, and it is a kind of grab bag of ML things that have gone wrong in medicine designed to make you just go, err, about it. But it did indeed make me go, err, about it. So well done. Didn't think. But, um, there were a, a couple of interesting things which tie back into, um, ML, AI stuff that we've talked about in previous shows. So um, there's examples of how um, there was a hospital in a COVID hotspot um, and the way they labeled their x-rays used different font to how other hospitals did it. And so the magic ML thing, which was there to detect um, uh, COVID COVID stuff, um, started detecting a higher rate there. And everyone went, wow, you see, it's picking it up. Look, there's a hotspot there. And it wasn't. It just learned about the font, which is just like the thing about how – you know the thing about um, detecting Soviet tanks as opposed to American tanks. It turned out that they had learned what snow was because it was in all the <laughs> Russian pictures. And, I mean, that's a story that people talk about how AI is stupid from about 30 years ago. And this is an exact, exactly the same thing. And 
Turns so, out a lot of ML is what, what the model is and how you're training the model. Yeah. And the whole kind of black box thing is concerning, but it go, he goes on and I think this is the important point. Um, yeah, lots of people have talked about the black box nature of it and you don't know what it's learning on and, and it's quite akin to being in the priesthood or doing criminology rather than actual computer science. But it's made, um, and quoting Corey, uh, it made, a hundred times worse by, by, he says, all of this was compounded by secrecy. The data and methods were often covered by non-disclosure agreements with medical, quote, AI, unquote, companies. This foreclosed on the kind of independent scrutiny that might have caught these errors. And I think that's an important point. That not only are people doing ML and coming up with these sorts of things, but it's all hidden behind NDAs and, um, open projects which are actually closed and only licensed to one company and so you've got there is no independent scrutiny of this stuff which means that if the thing has learned that the font is what means you've got covid no one can even look this is like exactly the same point people said we have with things like the dmca restricting people's ability to know about um encryption systems and it turns out they were right about that yeah he also makes a point about uh, recycling training data to validate the model which it's, if this is a topic you're interested in, it's worth a read whether you agree with him or, or disagree with him, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I think, yeah, this, the thing which amazes me about this whole topic is things like recycling tra- train data to validate the model. That's not a thing where you go, well, you know, we're in two minds about this. That's just, you're not allowed to do that. Don't do that, right? On the big book of AI sins, that's on the front cover. You know, don't do this. You can't train on a thing and then validate it with that thing. The thing. And yeah. everyone, know, and people are doing it because they're in a rush or because they want to, because if they do a thing and the results come out badly, then people hire your competitors rather than you and so on. And all these massively perverse incentives with no oversight, all blanketed by someone saying, oh, but it's AI on top of it. I know we've gone on about this in the show in the past, but Every day, people invent new stuff, which is going to classify us into buckets we don't want to be in, based on a script we can't inspect. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, it's infuriating. So, speaking of ML, though, I, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Did you get a co-pilot invite? I did not. Since still, the last show? Still haven't. And, interestingly, I've not seen many people that have either a couple of people I've seen, but literally only a couple, like um, uh, Paige, who's an ML person, she got an invite to it, and um, Leverell, I think, did. Um, but literally only a couple. And I, I expected to see lots and lots of people start to get into it, because I'm not seeing many people talk about Copilot as much, so I figured, it, you know, in the initial flare of interest had died away. Yep. And so maybe and they they'd would start. Send out the next wave of invites to keep yeah, it going. Yeah, to keep it going. But that hasn't happened. Have you, you haven't got one either. I have not. Uh, you see, I mean, how are we meant to have a go at your thing if you only give us access to it, GitHub? Although, um, in reviewing the last show, there was a bit in it where Jono said, if I'm not on the next show, it's because I've been killed by Erica for having a go at a GitHub <laughs> project. And, and then yes. he went, I went on to say, just like John McAfee, you know, um, if it turns out that I'm not on the show for another reason, then that's not right. And remember what I told you. And now he's not on the next show. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> so, um, is, I can tell you, listeners, as far as we know, he's in Hawaii. If it yes. turns out, He's in a shallow grave at the bottom of the garden instead. We'll find out the same time you do two weeks from now, I think. <laughs> uh, what do we have next? 
Ah, yes. So uh, this is one um, I should talk about because it's a UK one. So it is the 60th anniversary of Sinclair, makers of the Sinclair Spectrum home computer. Now, I think, I mean, you know about this. I don't know if people in the US knew about it. They'd sold some in the US, I think, but not really many. Not really many, yes. Yeah, so the Sinclair Spectrum was um, uh, one of the most popular home computers in the UK in the 80s, back um, around the sort of, you know, 8-bit home computer, home micro uh, period, and made by Sinclair, founded by Sir Clive Sinclair uh, 60 years ago. But I had the reason I thought this was interesting beyond just going woo the spectrum um, was an interesting conversation I had with Popey where he'd seen um so Popey friend of the show wave to Alan Pope um he uh was talking about a Twitter thread he'd read by someone called Chinny Vision which is I'm assuming not a lug radio callback but I might be wrong um where he says that um what's interesting is that. People seem to think that these retro computers command kind of high prices on eBay and so on, but they don't. Because the only people who are really interested are the people who are my age or more than that. No one who's under my age, even a little bit under my age, would care because they don't have that nostalgia factor. You have to be 45 or something. Otherwise, if you're 40 even, you're too young. You won't, your first computer would have been an Amiga, um, mm. not not a Spectrum. And the problem is that you've got a relatively small market, and it's not like there are only two Spectrums. They're not Fabergé eggs. They made bloody millions of them. Right. So there's loads and loads. Of loads. So um, so he says uh, there's a few YouTube channels and the odd collector, but the vast majority of people don't care about the old 8-bit micros, and we're all dying off, you know, and they're, and they're cheap because everyone who wanted one already has one or is dead. And I thought it was an interesting characterization of the 80s home computer stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, There have certainly been people in the past who collected um, sort of technology from the 60s or the 70s or whatever. Um, You know, say, well, it's jukeboxes or what have you, but or even 8-tracks. But getting excited about the BBC Micro or the Spectrum or the Commodore 64 or whatever. Yeah, there are, there is a scene of people doing this, but everyone who wants one can get one easily. There's no yeah. value in this. It's, and it's hard to justify doing this retro thing when you can just get an emulator, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and you can, you can emulate a Commodore 64 on a watch now. Oh, easily. Easily. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. I don't know. I mean, was there a, is there a retro scene in the US? What is, you had like the Tandy color computer and stuff. I mean, I, if there is, I'm not part of it, so I'm not <laughs> sure. I mean, there might be people clamoring for Commodores or yeah. In I, the gaming, like for Nintendo stuff, there is a little bit, but for the PCs, not really. That yeah. I know. I'm sure one listener who is really into it will. Uh, yeah. Let us, let us know how wrong we are. <laughs> Yeah, feel free to write to us and um, go on about the Magnavision or Magnavox or whatever it was called. <laughs> uh, or, yeah, the NES would be the thing. Or the Sacred right. Master System. That'd be really interesting. <laughs> right. Next piece of news. So changing gears from retro to, to newer hardware here. And, and this, for the listeners, we don't have a ton of information here because this news article started dropping like within the last 12 hours. But it looks like Google is going to approach things with the Pixel 6 slightly differently than they have been and make it a, a true flagship over $1,000 phone. 
the thing which interests me here, that there's a whole write up at the Verge and people are talking about it's got the tensor SOC in it, which is designed to do ML, and that's really good because it means all this stuff gets pushed out to the device and not done in the cloud. Um, what I don't know is they've had a remarkable lack of success in getting actual people to care about this thing in the past. Do you think that they're changing how they're marketing it or they're planning to change how they're marketing it? Yeah, so I, I will say I'm not reflective of the average person here. I think I've no. owned every Pixel except for the Pixel 4. And before that, I think I've owned every Nexus except for maybe one of them. So <laughs> uh, I, I'm a huge fan of the line. I think they've done a pretty reasonable job. I am a little bit sad that throughout most of the Nexus and the Pixel, with just a couple exceptions, they had at least one model that was a reasonably sized phone, which I am a huge fan of. <laughs> also seems like I am not reflective of the broader society there and that <laughs> everyone wants these, like the Pixel 6 Pro, they're saying is going to be 6.7 inch plus. I, that's I just, ridiculous. I right. That's not in my wheelhouse personally. Uh, but I, I am interested to see them make a run at like a true flagship. This is going to compete with the Galaxy line. There's, like I said, unfortunately, there's not enough information out right now to have specifics. It just seems like it's going to be a, a true, true flagship, but they haven't released specific socks beyond TensorFlow. Like, we don't know if it's the high-end Snapdragon or something custom, if they're going to go down the route that Apple went and, and make their own chips. That that hasn't been released yet. Uh, you seem to be slightly concerned that the Pro is slightly curved at the edges? Uh, no, um... Uh, I am slightly concerned about that, but I'm slightly concerned about that because my Nokia 8 Sirocco has curved edges and they're really annoying because I press them by accident all the time. I'm hoping ah. they don't do that, but between that and you remember the Samsung S7 Edge? Was it the S7? Yep. Yeah. Edge where they had like a custom Samsung only API to do edge stuff, which no one ever used. Um, so I'm kind of burned on roundy edges on phones and people should stop doing it, <laughs> but maybe it'll be okay. Yeah. I mean, the biggest disappointment for me and one of the things that has been released is that the target for the battery is still only around a day. I don't oh. understand why it, it's not longer. So that's a little bit disappointing. Uh, I, I also... Google took a big knock in the press, especially about the Pixel 5 having a, like, not full generation old sock, but like half generation old, where it wasn't the cutting edge. I have a Pixel 5. I, it's never seemed slow to me. I'm not a mobile gamer, so that might be the one area where I'm not experiencing that pain, but it, it seems fine. So, uh, I, I'm not sure if that's more of a, benchmark sake thing versus in real life is it impactful i i'm, I'm not sure um for I, me it definitely hasn't been i i can't speak to it directly but as far as i can tell there were probably a bunch of hardware engineers at google who said look we don't need the latest thing in there for the experience we want to deliver putting a half generation newer one is not actually going to make any difference let's not do that and now they're saying, what? Well, so we just have to put it in there, even though it doesn't make any difference because otherwise we get slagged off by all the websites. Uh, and I really think that's the case. You've got to put it in there because they're looking for a reason to have a go at your device. So I, I think and the argument, part of the argument being made was it isn't a flagship device. And I would agree it wasn't a flagship device, but it was half the price of the highest end Samsung and the highest end uh, iPhone and still a good device, which... I, th I think they should have focused on that, but uh, I'm, thing, I'm curious to see what they do with the flagship, uh, quote unquote, flagship model. This is um, the the thing I don't quite understand is 
people talk about flagship devices, but in my head, that's like hero models for cars. And obviously the car analogy klaxon goes off at this point, but no one actually buys the top end model. And if everyone does buy the top end model, then you invent a topper end model. I mean, they do. There's something to be said. Like Lexuses, I'm not a huge fan of. The LFA is a modern marvel of engineering, and it's great that they get to do that. They sell them for an outrageous me, amount of money and lose money on them. Of engineering. It's like but half a million dollars or something. <laughs> and they lose money on them. But so I, I get why you want to push the envelope with something like cars because they're like that's how you make breakthroughs in engineering is spending a bunch of money, and then that stuff trickles down years later to other models with. So, like, like with SOCs and phones, I don't know that that is directly applicable. No, I mean, um, one of the uh, – I had a conversation with my parents about this because um, I – for years and years and years, I haven't bought a phone contract. I've got SIM only and then bought my own phone because then I can do what I like, whatever. But now, one of the advantages I always have with that is that SIM only contracts were always 30-day rolling, Right. There was no the idea of buying a long term. You're locked into this sim only contract. Well, it just didn't exist. It was ridiculous. And now you can't buy the rolling ones anymore. It's all lock in stuff. Because as far as I can tell, a whole bunch of people are going. Well, we'll just get a sim only contract. Why not? And half the reason for that is like, well, there's nothing wrong with the phone I've got. The whole two year update treadmill thing. I think we're now a couple of generations into people going. But I got a new one, and it's not really any different. And it suddenly keeps on. Co- I, I, I think people are starting to get wise to the fact that companies want to charge you fifty or sixty pounds a month um, for a phone which is not actually better than the one you had previously, and you could pay like ten pounds a month <laughs> because there's you don't need some the step phone. changes. But yeah, often year to year, there's not a massive difference, even in flagship phones, which is new. Like that's that, yeah. that's a new thing that phone manufacturers are going to have to deal with. I, I honestly don't know how much of being a flagship is about the marketing. Yes, you need all the latest stuff in there, but that's a tick list feature. You don't actually need it. But if you don't have it, everyone will complain you're not a flagship. Yep. But I honestly don't know whether Google can get people who would think of buying an iPhone to buy their thing instead. I think they could get people that were considering buying the top end Galaxy. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Like we'll see. And to your question in the doc, will Jeremy buy one? I, I don't. I probably will not buy the Pro because I do not have a desire to have a six point seven inch <laughs> phone. I think they said the non-Pro was either going to be six point two or six point four. If it's six point two and bezel bezel list so pretty small, I probably will buy it. Yes, man. That's, we'll see. I mean, yeah. Jono's now an iPhone user, so you're the only hope because I'm not buying one. They're massive. Um, (laughs) Uh, Speaking of massive, Firefox lost 50 million users since 2019. Yeah. And I don't really have a lot to add to that. Uh, They they had, just for context and scale, they had about 250 million monthly active users in January of of 2019. They just are under 200 million now, so a substantial percentage. This is um, sad. It continues to be disappointing that... Firefox inc- decreasingly has a voice. I guess Mozilla. Yeah, I see. The problem is now. I think the death spiral now. Unfortunately, yeah. it's um, it's not even that um, they're losing stuff because they're doing badly. They're losing stuff because they're losing stuff. And yep. when you stop being relevant, it's really. I mean, you look at Edge as an example, right? Um, 
Edge has almost no traction. There are really not that many people using it. It has one of the half dozen biggest companies on earth backing it up. It's just as competent as other browsers. And to a first approximation, it gets bundled with the operating system. I appreciate Microsoft are a bit careful about this since they've literally got a kicking about it in the past. <laughs> but, you know, it's there the whole time and it's still getting almost no traction. So, what oh, the hell help has anybody else got? And that's because breaking into a market with entrenched people is always, is really, really hard. Firefox did it once. Um, can they do it again? I, I, I can't see what they can do to pull out of the nosedive, unfortunately. Just changing Oof. things won't help. Some kind of radical shift needs to happen. I think and, they had a couple of opportunities in years past, and yeah. I, I struggle to see what that opportunity is yeah. I, midway through 2021 here. I, I, I honestly don't know whether I think that doing things like, I don't know, Firefox OS, you know, boot to gecko kind of thing, or um, Firefox Focus on iOS, um, or uh, rewriting into server, which is currently paused and so on, whether these were wrong things to do or whether they were right things to do and they could have arrested this problem, but they were executed badly. I'm honestly not sure. We can litigate that till long yep. after Mozilla is dead. Um, yeah. But the vultures are circling even for things that Mozilla are doing, which everyone acknowledges are good and the best, something uh, like MDN, as an example, the documentation stuff, you know. And, yeah, I don't know what to say about this other than it's sad and I wish it wasn't happening. I, do you do you still use Firefox as your main daily? Yep, yep, my main browser. I'm, I am oh, looking so me at, too, yeah, okay. I'm looking at the, I mean, I honestly feel like some days, when you say, you know, Firefox lost 50 million users since 2019, and in 2019 they had 50 million and two users, us. <laughs> and now we're still doing it nobody else um yeah. i mean and i i mean we both hang out in open source linux focused communities and even there there's, there's people going yeah i use firefox but it's not like a majority or anything no, no. where it is the default <laughs> so yeah. yeah no it's uh it's i don't know what to say about it um uh, yeah, well, we'll switch gears here then to outside of this technology sphere. Uh, for those of you who follow the Olympics, you are probably well aware that the Olympics, as we record this, are in their second week. And there was just a research study released where bronze medalists, and they based this on facial recognition and a, and a whole study behind it, bronze medalists appear happier than silver medalists. And when they go into the hypothesis on reasoning, it actually makes a little bit of sense. And there were two two kind of tenets here. One was silver medalists probably had higher expectations going in and wanted to be gold medalists yeah. where often case bronze medalists did not anticipate getting a medal and they were looking down saying oh i just made the cut at least i'm here on the podium so it, it, silver was like the second place is, is not where they wanted to be which it's just interesting part of human psychology more than anything i don't have a lot to add i just thought it was <laughs> yeah, interesting yeah. Study. Um, that that was the thought i mean i think if you get bronze and you're at the Olympics, you're like, wow, I'm on the podium. How cool is that? Wasn't expecting that. And if you get silver, you're like, oh, man. <laughs> oh, it's this close. Could have uh, been gold. On the other hand, I can't decide whether, because uh, one of their big, um, one of the big examples that's given in the NPR um, article about this is um, the, the Great Britain um, uh, women's uh, gymnastics team. Um, who looked absolutely ecstatic at getting the bronze, but it's the first time that the um, 
that we've won any team gymnastics medal. We win quite a lot of solo gymnastics medals, but first time we've won any team gymnastics medal in nearly a hundred years. So they're like <laughs> easy to be excited. Yeah, at that point, totally blown away. I think they were probably excited the day they walked into the stadium. <laughs> like we're here, we qualified. This is great. So yeah, I, uh, I, this ties a bit back to the AI stuff we were talking about earlier on, but. I'm not a hundred percent sure I buy things like facial analysis and set and, and sentiment analysis of words and things like that as well. I mean, um, we've talked about this, uh, a bunch in the past attempting to analyze tweets or what people are writing or comments for doing sentiment analysis, whether they're happy, whether they're sad or not. Um, doing sentiment analysis on facial recognition, which is basically recognizing smiles. Yeah, uh, I'm sure is wrought with a, a bunch of uh, ML training set data. That uh, oh, I mean, honestly, it's and I, I am sure that people who are actually in the field. There are a whole bunch of papers published saying, "Yeah, look, here's our data, and this is how we proved it, and this is where we went through and manually classified a hundred thousand statements, and then a separate group did the ML thing and they agreed. So you know, a bunch of actual proof rather than just, yeah, we're sure we've got it right. But ah, <laughs> oh, man, I'm just super skeptical of this sort of thing, and I'm not yeah. at all sure this backs up. But this is, you know. Nice pop science, let's get in the papers stuff rather than yeah. let's get in nature. <laughs> Although it was published, where was it? Where was it published? Um, uh, so they're at the um, uh, University of Minnesota. The study, yeah, University yeah, of Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, and uh, Andrea Luangreth, um, not quite sure how you pronounce her name. Um, it's a, uh, uh, she's a assistant marketing professor at the University of Iowa. Yeah. So no, it's it's interesting stuff, but skepticism. This, so analyze my face for skepticism. <laughs> Speaking of skeptical and getting back into the technology rain, uh, realm, did you see uh, Facebook is going to create a new, an entirely oh. new? Uh, I don't even know what to call it. A, a new internal business unit uh, with the goal of creating a metaverse. Oh, it's just uh, Zuckerberg, right? I mean, for a start, stop calling things the metaverse just because you remember reading um, Neil Stevenson books. <laughs> Secondly, yes. Facebook, to be clear about this, rebranding Facebook Spaces, which as far as I can tell what this is. I so no, they rebranded Facebook Spaces as Horizon, I think it was. So this is the rebrand of Horizon. <laughs> I'm guessing. I don't know. So their announcement was it was forming a new metaverse product group to advance its yeah. effort to build a 3D social space using virtual and augmented reality technology. And just at a high level, so there was an interview that Zuckerberg did with um, Casey, yeah, Newton, Casey Newton, who's a, a tech journalist that does platformer. Uh, and he says he sees the metaverse, a quote, term widely used to, in both technology and science fiction to describe broadly shared open virtual environments as the successor to the mobile internet. I know, right? He says um, to build our full version, so they're talking about Oculus and Portal and stuff like this, and to yep. achieve our full version of the metaverse, a uh, full vision of the metaverse, sorry, we need to build the connective tissue between these spaces so you can remove the limitations of physics and move between them with the same ease as moving from one room in your house to the next. And it's just, I mean, this sounds less like 
Um, I think they're trying to pitch it as we, uh, this was always the plan all along and we bought Oculus, um, way in advance of, um, this because we knew we were doing this and we just didn't tell all of you. But to me, it looks a great deal like, man, we spent all this money on Oculus. We've got to be able to do something with it. Let's just reinvent Facebook spaces again. <laughs> it seems to me like Zuckerberg needs one person in his executive group willing to tell him that not all of his ideas are good ideas. <laughs> This is and a little cynical there, but yeah, you know, uh, this, uh, this is how you need a good editor. <laughs> Do you think it's actually his idea? I suppose if it wasn't his idea, it wouldn't be happening. But it sounded like from the interview, if you if you read the interview with Casey, that it was something that he had wanted to do for a long time. It's I man, I <laughs> have they? So serious question. Name a thing Facebook have done, not purchased, but done, that was a good idea and has taken off recently by some definition of recently that you're happy with. Oof. If, if you recently end no acquisition, I... I can't think of anything. They've done a bunch of stuff which appears to have withered on the vine, and they've bought a bunch of stuff which was already successful and they've made it more successful. I mean, they bought Instagram right. and it's become Instagram, what's that? The they've acquired well, I'll give them that. Yeah, Is actively destroying uh, democracy as a product in your <laughs> wheelhouse? I don't think, I don't think it's a product. I mean, oh. they, they've been very successful at it. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, I can't think of anything. I also don't follow Facebook super closely, yeah. so they may have done something that I, I, I missed. Yeah, no, but I, I would be interested to hear from, um, avid facebook watchers out there if you can name anything that facebook have built i mean things like facebook gaming kind of went away and never worked out and um they were the platform where a whole bunch of this stuff happened and now kind of aren't and we're increasingly seeing um there was a point at which you couldn't play social games without signing in with Facebook. You had to have a Facebook account just to do that. And yep. to do dating, you basically had to sign in with Facebook. And both of those things have stopped. And to some extent, that's people um, people who build these things wishing to uh, not be disintermediated out of the customer relationship by Facebook. But yep. it's also because they're no longer in a position where they can realistically demand it. Um, you know, because they're no longer as dominant a presence in this sort of thing you know and but instagram while it's become the cool place to go doesn't have the same dominant overarching thing as facebook ever did so you couldn't make your dating site be signed in with instagram either you could if you were helping people who were 25 to date (laughs) but yeah i don't know it, it feels very much to me like they're sort of flailing about in search of the cool new thing which you can afford to do when you got all the money in the universe obviously but is this going to work? I can't see it. I am skeptical. <laughs> Let's go. On. Yeah. So, um, did you see the thing about um, Scarlett Johansson suing Disney? I did. Now, uh, to fill in people who did not see this, um, so Black Widow the film came out, and Scarlett Johansson said, "Hey." My contract said I'd get um, a bunch of money based on its box office receipts. Uh, but Disney, you released it in the cinema and on Disney Plus at the same time. So the box office receipts were miles down because a whole bunch of people went, lol, why would I want to go out and pay loads of money for popcorn when I could just stay in my pants in my house and watch it? And so 
made much less money in the cinema, therefore they had to pay her much less. And Scarlett Johansson, not unreasonably, feels she was shanked out of a bunch of money by this bait-and-switch approach. Yes. Um, so there were two things that I thought were interesting about this. The first one is Disney's utterly reprehensible attempt to blame her for this. By going, they they bounced pretty hard. I mean, they're like, I can't they believe you say stuff earnings, like this. They like, yeah. outrageous that you would do this during a pandemic was I part know. of the response. It's like, like oh, oh, so, um, so it would be okay for me to actually stand up for the contract that we signed if there wasn't a pandemic. Shut up. That's got literally nothing to do with it. It's just, I... I mean, fine. On the one hand, right, my heart does not bleed all that hard for multi-millionaire Hollywood actors. On the other hand, right, if there's any, literally any time you're on the other side of the court from Disney, you're in the right and they're in the wrong, right? (laughs) So it should be noted she has already made $20 million on the film, so it is uh, difficult to be super sympathetic here. So Black Widow grossed $80 million in the U.S. at the box office, $78 million outside the U.S. at the box office, and then $60 million. uh, Disney Plus did charge. They didn't make it part of Disney Plus. It was like 30 bucks. I think there's two interesting aspects for this to me here. One, in in the uh, part of the release from the lawyers, it was noted on Scarlett Johansson's side that the CEO's bonus is tied to the performance of Disney+. Plus. Which means there is some incentive there for <laughs> Disney Plus to do quite well and to put things like Black Widow into it. The other thing I thought was interesting, if you look at when Black Widow was Black Widow was supposed to be released, it was early in 2020, which means this contract was probably signed in like 2017. Yeah, Disney Plus didn't even exist. Like technology is moving at such uh, a rate yeah. now that by the time you can record a movie and release the movie, the streaming platform for the company that bought Marvel. Didn't even exist, and now it oh, is oh, the wow. third biggest streaming platform. That's <laughs> I didn't thought of that. I mean, what? Um, yeah. What? What's interesting about that? I think is um, whoever wins from this, this won't happen again because no. Right. I, I mean, it, it's interesting if you read stuff the authors write, especially authors who've been around for um, a while and have uh, long running contracts. Um, so Charlie Stross has written a bunch about this sort of thing. Where he ha- he he's he's contracted to a particular publisher to write a particular series or whatever, but things like um, the translation rights and so on reside with him, and he can sell them to someone else. So you know the book gets published in English in the US or in the UK or both or whatever. He normally has different publishers in each the UK and the US, as I understand it. But he's also got things like the publication rights in Australia. Um, which he retains and can sell to a different agency and translation rights for translating it into French and then selling it in France or translating it into Portuguese and selling it in Portugal and Brazil. Um, and none of these things are as big a deal as the initial sale, but taken all together, they provide a very big chunk of change. But now a lot of authors who are getting into the business who haven't been in it for as long as him and therefore don't already have a contract running or which has been running for years and years and years are finding that all that stuff is purchased lock, stock and barrel by their first publisher. Mm-hmm. So, so their first publisher gets those rights and then they get to sell them on. Um, and obviously some of that comes back to the author because you still get royalties, but they, um, they get to negotiate the deal which is best for them, not the deal which is best for the author. And I suspect where um my original thought was we were going to start seeing people saying 
okay, I, I don't want a share of bo- a cinema box office receipts. I want a share of receipts wherever the hell you put this out. But it hadn't even occurred to me the thing didn't even exist. So it's going to be even looser than that. It's going to be, if you make a dollar out of this, I don't give a damn how you make the dollar, I get 30 cents of it or whatever. So yeah, but then how do you account for, in this particular case, they charge 30 bucks. Yeah. What if they had just rolled it into Disney Plus? Um, I refuse to believe that Disney don't have a metric for working out how successful a thing is. Otherwise, I could just write a film and go, well, you can't prove that my film's going to be worse than Black Widow. Might as well put it on, <laughs> right? They know how they know how to work this out, right? They have to account for this to shareholders and stuff. So they can damn well account to it from me. Well, for Scarlett Johansson, not for me. <laughs> but I, 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 to me, this is stupid on Disney's part. I mean, this is such a Disney thing to do, right? <laughs> um, because it feels so like a bait and switch. I mean, yes, fine. Um, the company who Johansson signed the deal with wasn't Disney and the service that it got bait and switched into didn't exist when she signed the contract. But nonetheless, it's still a massive rug pulling out maneuver. And I mean, they have a union, right? Aren't equity up in arms about this sort of thing? I mean, this I have, is this I have is the sort of thing. That, this one super closely. No, no, no. But I mean, if you are, um, you know, if you're uh, a teacher or something, then the National Union of Teachers exists to prevent companies doing things like or schools doing things like this to you. I don't know whether equity just makes sure that everyone's got a unique name and like Mona IMDb, or whether they're actually a union. <laughs> <laughs> things like the writers' strike suggests that they do understand the power of collective action. And mm. man, if if Johansson takes a bath on this, no one will ever, ever, ever get caught like this again, ever. I'm just curious <laughs> to your point how it will impact contract negotiations starting basically yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. Literally, everyone in there is like, "Oh, this thing where it says cinema box office seats, I've put a big red pen through that, and I've put money." However it is obtained, right? If aliens arrive from the planet Zanussi and buy the film off you lock, stock, and barrel, I get half the money. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, as I understand it, I think Harrison Ford took um, a share of receipts on Star Wars, and he's still getting paid. Hmm. (laughs) You know, so this stuff makes a difference. And, I mean... Obviously, a whole bunch of entertainment lawyers are going to have an absolute field day attempting to come up with legal language oh, yeah. to describe literally any way you manage to sell a thing. All this sort of, um, by televisual or other electromagnetic transmission or something, right? These- oh, there will be new legalese out of this one with 100% certainty. <laughs> Just all these terrible descriptions of how like someone in the 19th century thought them up for what, like, the internet is. It's, oh, man. It's uncanny. But yeah, this is really interesting, I think. Yeah. So did you see that Netflix is considering getting into gaming? Now, I did, but I don't think I fully understand what their pitch is. So So we've talked about a a streaming video service in the past, uh, the one by Google called Stadia, which I still have not even activated. (laughs) <laughs> my arguing with so did i did i tell the stadia story on air now i don't know if i did no i don't think you did oh so we talked about stadia yeah. jano said he was going to buy one so i said i'd buy one and we could review it uh him is kind of more of someone into gaming me who's not really a gamer but i figured yeah. i would try it out bought a stadia 
plugged it in, went to activate it. It said it was already activated. And, and, well, at first it said I couldn't activate it because I have a Google Apps account. So I, I, continually yes. with Google, because I pay them money for apps, I can't use other of their services. But putting that aside, well, well, I used a well, different well, well, one. Well, 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 before, before we move on, because I don't have a Google Apps account. Okay. Right? And so uh, my, my domain is handled elsewhere, and then I forward email to um, to them, and I use my personal uh, Google account. And part of the reason I do that is because literally everyone I know who has a Google Apps account is infuriated by the fact that they get stuff late or never and it doesn't yeah. work properly and they're the paying customers it's a huge hassle <laughs> so then i switched to my other non-apps account a G- just regular gmail account and it said it was already activated i was like well it wasn't <laughs> so i opened a ticket which of course was misery because it's google so i ended up calling instead of doing the email ticket and the person on the other end basically said you know, you're out of luck it says it's activated do you want to start paying or no and i was like no i want to start the three-month trial like i bought the pre-launch whole thing so they said oh we'll take a picture of the back of it i sent the picture and they were like that's not readable we need some other thing that's only on the box so long story short legitimately i've never turned it on so moving past stadia and why that was a terrible experience so netflix is going to launch a a gaming service but unlike stadia it doesn't seem like they want to put triple a console games in the cloud it seems like they are going to have a, a slightly different feel and they just uh we're talking about this in their earnings so this isn't something that's out a couple interesting things that i noticed if you read the earnings report though one it's clear to me that netflix has grown so big that they don't consider their rival hulu or other streaming services they legitimately consider their rivals just entertainment yeah as a concept which i think is to be that big is interesting and the imp how that will impact their growth moving forward is is interesting but what they said is they're going to focus additionally on mobile, not on just gaming, which is definitely the opposite of, of Stadia. Uh, but they're, they said they see gaming as an extension of the core entertainment offering that they've been focused on. And they've been c- continually expanding that service and charging more for that service. So their point was, we don't have to worry about monetization models. We don't have to worry about ads. We don't have to think about in-game purchases. What we do is offering a all-you-can-eat streaming service, and the game will fit into that model. And really, no one else has taken that approach to gaming, it is, which it means is. they won't have AAA, but they yeah. don't need AAA if the, their whole point is, well, you watched a bunch of movies, maybe now you feel like a low-friction, easy-to-play game. And will you be stickier to their service and give them slightly more money because of that? Yeah. And if you look at things like, um, you remember the Black Mirror episode, which had the, oh, which was half a game sort of choose your own adventure thing. Um, so being able to experiment with that, as you say, they're, um, they're seeing themselves as an entertainment colossus. The, the idea of streaming services that are just one component, you know, they see themselves like Amazon do. Or something. Street Amazon Prime is one thing we do for streaming, and for Netflix, yeah, same thing. That they, they don't want to enlarge it to basically everything. And yeah, I mean, I think this could work. It's it's a different vibe, as you say. And and the thing that I don't that I didn't and still don't quite understand is I'm not sure exactly who they're going after. As the audience, and maybe the answer is literally everyone, which is the audience for Netflix, the um, streaming video service, is basically everybody. I mean, it would have to be casual gamers and people that don't consider themselves gamers. Yeah, I would the, think. but but I but I don't know whether their their pitch is basically people who buy a Nintendo 
console today or whether their idea is to get people who don't have any console at all but convince them to do it. So people who, who if they're doing gaming, are they doing mobile gaming? And to convince them to switch to Netflix for provision of it. And I don't really know what they're going for. I mean, the answer might be literally all of these things and everything right. else besides. <laughs> Although now that you say that, that, there, that adds one other interesting wrinkle. If they're going to focus on mobile and iPhone, obviously, at least in the US, has a, a very large share of the profitable portion of mobile. Uh, you're not allowed to have an app store in an app store. And they've no. been very clear that any game in a thing is a, is an app store experience. Yeah. How will Netflix add games to the existing experience and also be in the uh, iOS store? And and how are they going to make money? Because well, they're going to make money because it's all. I don't think they plan to sell games. I think they plan to charge more for the service, and the service now has games. You see, I don't think... I mean, no, they, I mean, they, they said that they'll include games as part of the subscription packages at no extra cost. So they have actually said that they're not going to bump the cost up, but I... Uh, they're, they've always bumped the cost up. That's how... Yeah, yeah, part, yeah. part of how they capture growth is bumping the cost. I, they might not say, we're raising the price because of games, but the price will go up and it will now include games. I, I wonder whether that will turn a bunch of people off. It, it, that that very much depends on how they manage to pitch it to the media and how it gets reported on. Because if people get the idea that now they've got a bunch of games that they don't want to play and they're paying more for it because of the games, everyone will be very sad about that. Um, I don't know whether they'd be sad enough to go to Amazon Prime instead um, or Disney Plus, God forbid. But And they've raised – Netflix has raised prices enough times that they – I'm sure to the scent know the price elasticity of their service. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because they keep making noises and they made a bit of a push there what, a year or so ago um, to make sure that people who watch Netflix all had a Netflix account. Cause there was a point where it was endemic. That, you know, you, oh, you, it's like you, a running joke for sure. Yeah. You very much got the impression that they sold X accounts. There were like five X different households watching Netflix. And yeah. everyone's like, Oh yeah, I don't pay for Netflix. I'm using my hairdresser's account. <laughs> Cause they were like, Oh, have you not seen this thing? Oh, here's my Netflix password. I'm like, what? Really? Blimey. And then it occurred to me that I had Netflix because of my daughter's ex boyfriend. It only went away like six <laughs> months after they split up. I think he noticed and turned it off. I'm like, Oh, I suppose I haven't got that now. Then okay, can't complain. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, there's got to be a really interesting story in the growth of Netflix. There is be- I mean, because they've they've played a blinder in this. They've done almost everything right, you know, and elevated themselves uh, into. I mean, do you remember how they launched the? DVD streaming split initially? I put, oh, no, maybe I they don't. They did it very wrong, but then pivoted to, to then do it correctly. Uh, well, I mean, they're now, you know, the people had sent the whole fang thing, which I hate. But, you know, they must be like, there we are. <laughs> We're one of those five. Can't complain at that. Yep. And, yeah, like you say, they're um, an entertainment company in the broadest sense. Whereas someone like Hulu or Roku or someone are like, well, we used to be rivals with Netflix, and now they've become massive, and we're just some people who flogs their top boxes. <laughs> I mean, for, you know, and they're, and they're a studio, and they're buying new things, and 
the the other interesting thing about it is, yeah, I mean, Amazon are doing this as well with Prime, but Amazon have an infinite amount of money from other things. You know, Amazon can afford to go, but even if Prime doesn't make any money at all, we're still going to buy loads of TV shows and make loads of TV shows. And not that I'm complaining, well, Good Omens happened, can't complain about that. But Sandman is happening, um, Critical Role, um, uh, Legend of Vox Machina is happening, that's all Amazon, fantastic. But they can bankroll it because the richest man in the world runs a company. <laughs> and they also run numbers on how many people subscribe because of, of the other ancillary services that Prime yeah. offers, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But Netflix, if they don't make a run of the entertainment thing, it's not like they could fund it of all the money they f- get from selling people Wellington boots or whatever, <laughs> or indeed servers. Do we? I mean, I don't actually know this, and you probably do off the top of your head. Amazon, do they make more money from AWS or from Amazon.com? I actually don't know off the top. I think they make more money from advertising at this point than they make money. (laughs) Probably. I should, I feel like I should know this number and I don't know this number. So I'm going to go look at it. Now that you say it, a little surprised I don't know it. I I figured you'd just go. We will also include this in the show notes. We will. We will. I'm going to make a note of it. Although, so if you don't like Fang, the people don't use Fang anymore. Now it's Fang Man. Oh no, what? Because you got to get Microsoft and NVIDIA in there. I always wondered. How you could have this thing without Microsoft in it. But I, I assumed it was because people are like, oh, Microsoft, we hate Microsoft. But now they're becoming sort of semi-cool again. Well, <laughs> they were seen as more of an enterprise company, which the rest of them were not. Yeah, but now they're back into it, you know. How much money do Amazon make from business units? Question mark. Right. Um, yes, we will put that in the show notes. But yeah, no, it's things changing, man. <laughs> it is uh that so sounds like we have a show yes we do um excellent that, that will do us i think um thank you everybody very much for listening um uh thank you to marius of nerdzoom media which is nerdzoom.media for uh mixing this show which he will hopefully do later this week <laughs> he always does i have full faith yeah, yeah, yeah. he's absolutely superb and he and uh, 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 he does all the chapter notes and everything and he's super cool. So thank you very much for that. Um, uh, hopefully two weeks from now, John, I'll be back unless you decide to go on holiday again or something. Um, wouldn't surprise me. You'll know it when you hear <laughs> the same as we do. Um, thank you very much for coming. Thanks for listening.